Welcome back to the Bachelor News Radio Show. I'm L.A. Bachelor. We thank you for joining us. And, of course, you can watch the show on Big Mind Entertainment. You download that app um, on Fire Stick, Amazon Fire Stick or Roku. You can also watch it at YouTube. We invite you to subscribe to our YouTube page at L.A. Bachelor, Facebook, Twitter. Um, and, of course, you can listen to the audio version of the show at thebachelornews.com airtime.pro want to bring in my guest um he is a u.s army retired army uh, um person of course and is the general raymond east mason jr chair of military history at ohio state the ohio state university also served uh, of course in the very very uh tough iraq war during the uh, surge under General David Petraeus. Always good to have him on. He is Colonel Peter Mansour. Happy New Year to you, sir. And I hope all is well with you and your family. Happy New Year, LA. Yes, we're all COVID free, thankfully, at least for the moment. Uh, uh, congratulations to your Steelers on uh, on finding a way into the playoffs. That's exciting. Well, you know, <laughs> we, we found a way in to play Kansas City. I mean, really... Um, it's not a, uh, Hey, Ben, Ben, nice little run for him. You know, he's an Ohio boy. So, you know, it's, you know, we'll, we'll see. It was a miracle just getting in. So, Hey, we'll see what happens. 
come. Personally, I, was, I was hoping for that tie in the uh, Las Vegas San Diego game. <laughs> of course, I wasn't. You know, and obviously, the the Chargers bonehead coach. I don't know what he was doing, calling timeout because the Raiders were going. But you know, it, it's it'll be interesting to see what happens. Uh, I'm just I'm I'm just glad that, that the black and gold has an opportunity to play on Sunday, albeit against the uh, defending AFC champion uh, Kansas City Chiefs. Yeah, but I match there. Well, my Niners are going to uh, Dallas, so that won't be too much easier. Well, I, I give you a better, uh, 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 more than fifty percent chance of, of winning that game, more so than uh, my black and gold. But we'll we'll see. I'm definitely rooting for the Niners. I like the Niners on the NFC side. Um, you, you talk about battles, uh, Colonel. When you look at this administration, before we kind of get into Afghanistan and and this. <clears throat> This I don't know if you want to call it a relationship. These negotiations, this talk with Russia, you know, Biden. We we talked about when he was elected, what his foreign policy would look like, what he he has said, um, and on the, the campaign trail, assess what his agenda was before then, and now look at it here in twenty twenty two. So his. His campaign promises had, a, uh, in the foreign policy dimension, had a, had a few um, parts to it. One was to bring America back into the world. And not that we ever left it, but, um, you know, there was this thought that we had frayed our alliances, that we had alienated NATO, Japan, South Korea. America was going to re-knit those alliances. Uh, the second thing was something that wasn't really that much different from the Trump administration, and that was to end America's forever wars and get out of Afghanistan and pare down in Iraq. Uh, and then the third was to focus on the greatest strategic competitor the United States has currently and probably for the rest of the century, and that's China. If you look at what he's done, uh, it's a mixed bag. You know, initially he he made a trip overseas. Uh, he told the NATO allies were back. They all cheered. Um, but then when they look at what the administration has actually done, <clears throat> they're not quite as pleased as they were with just the rhetoric up front. Um, in terms of ending America, <clears throat> America's forever wars, he did get out of Afghanistan at some cost to our Afghan allies. Um, but the American people, quite frankly, don't care. I mean, they're pretty supportive of the withdrawal. They don't like the way it was conducted, but um, you know they they support the decision. And in Iraq, he's um, transitioned the the troops there from a combat to a non-combat role. So he's uh, he's uh, working his way out of that situation as well. And in terms of China, you know, it's a do out. He he puts a lot of emphasis on uh, relationships with Japan and South Korea, India, Australia. He's trying his best to. Um, you know, rein in uh, Chinese uh, activities in the South China Sea. Uh, he hasn't really done anything different uh, in terms of trade. He hasn't removed any of the tariffs that uh, the Trump administration put on Chinese goods. So um, this is going to be an ongoing uh, issue uh, into this year and beyond. How do we how do we deal with a China that's increasingly uh, feeling its oats, feeling its power and its strength uh, in in the world. And, you know, when you, you look at it too, Doc, the situation with with Russia, it seems as to me, he he talked 
tougher than the other guy did in terms of how he was going to deal with Russia. Now we have these negotiations, but it, it, it seems as though Russia continues to not only um, wage want, wanting to in, in influence and, and, and wage war in, in these countries, but also still has this influence with Afghanistan. Uh, and it doesn't seem as though he has really lived lived up to how tough he talked about how he was going to get on Vladimir Putin and say enough, we're not going to allow this to happen. Well, the, the question is, what can he do about it? Putin has amassed 100,000 plus troops on the border with Ukraine. Uh, he may very well invade the country. And he wants, what Putin wants is for NATO to um, say that there will, that NATO expansion is at an end. There will be no more new entrance into NATO. Putin does not want Ukraine especially to become a NATO ally. And that puts NATO right up on Russia's doorstep uh, in yet another area. We're already there in terms of the Baltic states, of course. Um, but Biden has got enough domestic challenges with uh, COVID and the economy, uh, voting rights, um, and other issues that he, he absolutely wants no part of a military conflict right now. And if, you know, Henry Kissinger once said, and I'm sure he was quoting someone else, that a um, uh, diplomacy without the threat of force is like an orchestra without instruments. And the only threat that uh, the president can make against Putin is increased sanctions, which have not yet done much to rein in Soviet or Soviet Russian malign behavior. Um, and he can say, okay, we're, we're going to get really get tough and there'll be really tough sanctions. Uh, we'll, you know, prevent you from using the, the banking system, the worldwide banking system, which is pretty much controlled by the U United States. Um, but it's a, it's almost a hollow threat given that Russia has, <clears throat> uh, control over the gas supplies that heat, uh, Europe. And, and, but, but think about it, too, um, uh, Professor, when you look at over the history, you know the history, especially the military history. In this world, concessions have been very deadly when we've seen situations where, I mean, this, not, not I'm not trying to be extreme as Hitler, but remember how that started. They kept saying, okay, you can have this, all right? You can have this, you can evade this area. And, and they, we're giving up these concessions to a country who's already cyber attacked us, doing all these different things. And I understand there's a lot on his plate uh, and it's gonna be crucial politically for him, um, domestically. But it, it it's almost like he just wants to just kind of hope that Russia kind of doesn't invade Ukraine and NATO takes the lead on trying to combat what Vladimir Putin's trying to do in the first place. Um, well, it's not like we've given anything to Putin. We, we did, you know, we haven't, uh, unlike with um, the appeasement of Adolf Hitler, uh, we haven't, for instance, done a Munich conference where the Sudetenland was ceded to Germany without any kind of uh, repercussions. Uh, Putin invaded Ukraine or um, uh, the Crimea and, and took it over, he invaded Ukraine. And there was pushback in both both instances. There was economic sanctions, and we eventually started to arm the Ukrainian military as well. 
uh, I think what uh, Putin and NATO will do if there's an invasion of Ukraine is provide uh, arms and assistance to Ukraine without putting NATO troops on the ground, which would basically be a war between the United States, NATO, and Russia, which, you know, that could be disastrous. And it just isn't worth the consequences that we could face. It's worth it much more to Russia, which is right next door to Ukraine, than it is to Western Europe and the United States. Uh, so you'll see uh, a number of economic sanctions that would um, crater the, the Russian economy. And, uh, and you'll see more arms and uh, military assistance being funneled into Ukraine, and perhaps even some covert assistance to um, to allow the Ukrainians to begin some sort of guerrilla activity against the Russian invaders uh, and make it really painful for the Russian military to be in Ukraine. But I think that's, that's about where it will end. Russia would be isolated at that point, um, but no one wants a, a great power war over Ukraine. Yeah, I, I, I can understand that. We certainly don't want that. If you're just joining us, we're talking with Professor uh, Peter Mansuro. He's a retired uh, U.S. Army colonel, uh, served with Dr. Dave, uh, I mean, um, uh, General David Petraeus in the Iraq uh, surge and, and, and that. Speaking of Iraq, are you concerned about this relationship? You mentioned Iraq, you mentioned China, who will be sort of competing with this newfound sort of relationship that Iraq has with China. China is really pushing them, themselves across. Uh, and we knew that was going to come. We knew um, they would be doing that. But any concern with them and, and with their influence, with their trade agreements, with those those folks in the Middle East, in particular, Iraq? Yeah, actually, it's Iran. Iran, I'm in. I'm sorry, Iran. it's Iran. Yeah, um, yeah there, there's some concern there. Uh, we've successfully isolated Iran. We've uh, harmed its economy by preventing it from exporting oil because it can't do it in dollar-denominated instruments. So the sanctions that the Trump administration applied are having a, a real impact. Uh, China is trying to allow Iran to skirt uh, that issue by um, creating a, a more close bilateral relationship. And it's across a lot of areas, economics uh, and the military, especially China would be happy to, to take uh, Iranian oil and um, if they could find a way to get it uh, to China. So this is something that, you know, we're watching, it's concerning, but there's nothing we can do about it. I mean, there are two sovereign states, they're gonna have the relationship that they're gonna have. Um, it's more important, I think that, um, we try to come to some sort of agreement with Iran over the uh, nuclear uh, accord that the Trump administration withdrew from, and the Biden administration has said it wants to re-enter, but <clears throat> under certain conditions. And Iran is is just they're they're not playing ball. They they won't um, extend any offers beyond the letter of the treaty that the Obama administration signed which just isn't worth it for the United States to re-enter at this point because the 10-year the window is almost up. Uh, the, the, um, the constraints on the Iranian nuclear program in that accord were only for 10 years in some cases. 
So the Biden administration says, yeah, we'll re-enter the accord, but we're going to have to renegotiate it. And the Iranian government has said no. Um, so this is this is just going to be a stalemate in the Middle East until one side or the other um, decides that it's to its advantage to to give something. And in this case, neither the United States or Iran wants to give anything. You know, and you know, I, I, I hate. I'm not trying to for folks that I'm not trying to be Mr. Negative about um, the president, but I, I, I want to get your thoughts on this. He, he's been they've been critical of him in terms of humanitarian uh, aid. You know, I know he's he just pledged what 308 um, million or something along those lines. And, yeah, it was around 380 and, million, something like that. Right, right. Um, but how does he handle did there, there, the, the situations, how does he handle Afghanistan? You, we've seen what happened with the um, all those in uh, Kazakhstan uh, killed with the protests. You you have the Miramar situation. How does he handle those different dynamics? Um, is he going to just lead with diplomacy in all cases? Um, or is in her some cases based on the interest of us and our allies that he may have to either, you know, provide military aid or maybe not, you know, troops on the ground, but, you know, some kind of intelligence or something along those lines. I, I think it depends on what area of the world and what country you're talking about. Myanmar, there's no way that we're going to get involved there. It's just not worth worth the time and effort. It's not in our national security interests that uh, Kazakhstan, again, you know, it's in Central Asia, it's isolated. Uh, it's worth a lot more to Russia than it is to the United States. And, you know, we'll give thoughts and prayers about it. Um, Afghanistan, you know, we lost the war. And so, you know, we're not going to go back in, uh, but we're going to make it painful for the Taliban. You know, you wanted to be the government. Now you're the government. Have at it. And what the Taliban is finding out is, oh, it's really hard to govern without the support of the West, because the West provided 80 percent of the government budget of Afghanistan. And and the Taliban would like us to continue that. And it's going to come at a cost. We're going to tell the Taliban, you want our support? Let women, you know, have uh, their rights. Um, you know, reach out to members of the old administration. Uh, and bring them back into the into the tent. Uh, but instead, what the Taliban has done <clears throat> is they've created a government that's all Taliban. And although they they're talking a good game about women's rights and you know sending girls to school and whatnot, they're not playing. They're not acting a good game on the ground. And the only leverage that we have is to withhold funds from them, um, and which is what we're doing. And uh, and we'll send the minimum of humanitarian aid to make sure there is not a starvation crisis, uh, which actually there there could be. Um, but we're not going to go beyond that until the Taliban decide that they're going to govern differently. No, the, the, the final country I, I looked at um, the, the, that we still should be concerned uh, is Syria, killing their own, starving their own. You know, Russia influence, you know, you, you got to be concerned, you know, Turkey to the north, Iraq to the east. You got, you know, Jordan, Lebanon, all those countries there 
what what is the policy moving forward with Syria? Syria. Well, again, I think this is a, a situation where the Biden administration has come to the realization, has admitted basically that we lost the war. Um, not necessarily our allies, the Syrian Democratic Forces. They're still in pretty good shape, except for the fact that the Trump administration allowed Turkey to attack them and carve out a, a zone in the north northern part of Syria. But the, the Syrian Democratic Forces are still there. Most of them are Kurds. Um, and they're still they still have U.S. support, but other than that, other than the the eastern portion of the country, um, the Assad's regime has pretty much taken over everything else. There's a small enclave in the in the northwest that uh, the rebels still hold, but uh, quite frankly, it's 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 pretty weak. And uh, the Assad administration, if they wanted to, could could probably overrun it at some humanitarian cost. So so now the question is, what do we do going forward? Uh, we've realized that Assad's going to be there. He's not going anywhere. Which, you know, is, a fa- which is a failure on all, all phases. There really. three administrations, Obama, Trump, and, and Biden. But mostly, mostly I would say Obama, because he was the one in, in, in the very beginning uh, that could have probably have overthrown Assad had he thrown his weight behind the rebels and he didn't. Um, you know, you, you can go back and read the the, the books on this, but uh, uh, Hillary Clinton, his Secretary of State, Bob Gates, his Secretary of Defense, and General Petraeus, the Middle East commander, the commander of Central Command, all said, let's arm the rebels, and, and he said no. Uh, and there, you know, there's obviously something to be said about staying out. He didn't, you know, he didn't want to get involved in yet another conflict, but this is the result. So mm-hmm. you have to own the, the consequences. Um, so now the question is really how, you know, what is Syria going to look like going forward? It's, it's balkanized, if you will. You know, there's different parts of the country are controlled by different entities. Uh, the Turks in the north, the Syrian Democratic Forces in the east. Uh, there's a small rebel enclave and then uh, the Syrian forces under Assad. And what sort of aid should the people of Syria get? And should we force refugees who have fled Syria to resettle back into the country, knowing that they're going to be targeted by Assad, who's you know a killer? Um, none of these situations are easy. Well, it, I, I guess final question for you: When what is the the, the biggest threat moving forward? What it be? you know, the Biden administration or a new one moving forward, cybersecurity, climate change. You, we, we hadn't even talked about Central America and all the, the, the immigrants uh, coming there. What, what's the biggest threat to foreign policy, to national security from a foreign policy standpoint? Yeah, I'll give you uh, three of them. I, I think in terms of the greatest danger for armed conflict, it would be a Russian invasion of Ukraine. But that wouldn't necessarily involve the United States in a military capacity. The greatest danger in terms of a war that would involve the United States would be if um, President Xi ordered Chinese forces to invade Taiwan. Um, Because I think that we would have to support Taiwan. Otherwise, we're telling every democracy in the world that we're not going to come to their assistance if they're attacked. Which is a real possibility, I would think. It is, yes. I mean, Xi basically has 
determined that he wants Taiwan reunified by the end of his term in office, which could be forever, you know, as long as he lives. But, um, you know, that is that is the greatest danger in terms of a great power conflict that could be disastrous to the world. But it, in terms of the greatest problem challenge to the, the globe as a whole, it's clearly climate change. Um, 500 years from now, if we're still around, if humans are still around, the, the historians and scientists are going to look back and go, what were they thinking? Why didn't they do something about this? Um, and, you know, it's, it's one of those things that it's easy to say that's the greatest problem. It's hard to get people to make the sacrifices to do something about it. Um, and because it's too easy to say, oh, the science is wrong. They're just saying this because of this agenda or this agenda. Um, or, you know, there's nothing we can do about it anyway. So go ahead and live your life to the fullest. Uh, there's just too many excuses not to, not to take action. And so it is a real, really, really tough challenge. And Doc, I think I, I would believe not just hawkish people, but people who don't understand what you're saying in terms of the science would just do what you said. Just live life. It's uh, nothing to see here. Not a big deal. Uh, it's almost like we're conditioned when it when it comes to a national threat to something physical. You know, it, climate change is not necessarily tangible. You know what I mean? So it's just people don't really take it as extreme and important as what you're saying. Well, it is becoming tangible, though. I mean, you look at the extreme weather events we're having, and they're getting more extreme, um, and and that and entire biomes disappearing, like the Great Barrier Reef off of Australia, will probably be dead in our lifetimes, which is just amazing to think about. Um, you know, the last seven years have been the hottest in recorded history, 2014 to 2021, hotter than any seven years as far back as we can determine temperatures. Um, so this is this is a problem that's not going away. Great movie, by the way. Um, you know, it's it's part comedy and, and part serious. Uh, don't look up if you if you haven't seen it on on uh, Netflix. It's uh, it's a good watch. It's a good watch. Just don't take I, it too I serious. Got it. I want to see that. And also, a great movie, um, which you know, talked about the ice age come, come back. I think it was the day after tomorrow. I think it was. Oh yeah. That's a little more cheesy, but. The, right, was, right. But it was, yeah. but I mean, it, you know, it was, it, you know, you had this, this person trying to warn this administration it's coming. Nobody did anything about it. And here we are in the, the frozen tundra like green Bay. <laughs> and, and it, I mean, it's just, it's really serious stuff. So people really need to, to, to really, um understand and 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 take it seriously dr peter mansoor as always sir my friend i appreciate you coming on you be well happy new year to you and your uh your family i know you got your grand grandbaby and again as a steeler fan i i i don't like the dallas cowgirls so 49ers go out there and beat those dallas team uh jerry jones and those boys Let's hope for a Niners-Steelers uh, Super Bowl. That would be good. Okay, well, I'll, I'll probably could buy the Brooklyn Bridge uh, if Pittsburgh <laughs> gets to the Super Bowl. <laughs> Doc, I appreciate you, sir. Thank you. Be well. All right. Take care.